morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to episode 36 of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. 2012 has gotten pretty crazy with all the announcements from various cloud vendors and open distributions. Our guest today has been right in the middle of that with some of his company's work and his comments on open clouds and the differences between open source distributions, OpenStack, CloudStack, etc. But what we're more interested in today is his viewpoints and experience in creating new architectures and specifically cloud computing and web scale apps. So we'd like to welcome Randy Bias, founder and CEO at Cloud Scaling. Randy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Randy, uh, great to have you on. Um, you know, it, it, when Aaron and I first started doing the show, I don't know, a year, a little more than a year ago, we made a list of people that we wanted to have on. And at the time, uh, you know, our, our regular jobs, we, uh, or even at the time back then, the show was originally focused around around infrastructure, and we were doing a lot of stuff with kind of stacks and very enterprise-centric stuff, and you were on our list of people that we really wanted to have on the show, and at the time, it was more from the frame of mind of, you know, we, we were kind of working on some stuff, we were kind of involved with a lot of kind of infrastructure-centric clouds, or what you used to call en- enterprise clouds, and you were you were kind of taking a very different point of view. You know, the, those type of models are, are absolutely going to fail. The Amazon model is absolutely the way to go. And at the time, we were kind of going, you know, if we ever had Randy on, it probably would get maybe kind of confrontational, kind of heated. And and what we found, you know, kind of as we stepped back from what we were doing day to day in our work and working on the podcast, you know, we found that a lot of things you were talking about kind of opened our mind to things. And so um, it's good to finally have you on the show. Um, you know, our, our, our hope today is to you've evolved quite a bit. Cloud scaling's evolved quite a bit. And, and so we're hoping that we can kind of dive into you know, how you've evolved in your thinking about clouds, how you've seen from your customers, how their thinkings are evolving around clouds and, and some things along those lines. So again, like Aaron said, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, you know, early on you were, you were, you know, even going back a couple of years before cloud scaling was sort of, uh, you know, formed and you had gotten VC funding, you were one of the really vocal ponen, uh, proponents of, of AWS and, and using public cloud and, and public cloud is really, kind of the only way to look at things, um, you know, one of the things that was interesting about the arguments that you used to make for that was um, you used to talk about AWS as the model, and, and I think to really contrast that, you often used uh, VCE and VBlock and very kind of enterprise-centric stacks. Um, d- did you find when you, were, when you were talking about it in that, con- in that contact, um, because some people had used AWS and other people had just heard about it, you really had to kind of go to either end of the spectrum to really kind of make the points you were trying to make or was that just you know the kind of the most relevant technology at the time well i mean i guess you know again a couple years ago actually my viewpoint wasn't that different than the way it is now Mm -hmm. what what was happening then is in sort of the earlier days there was a general conversation and the way about sort of enterprise versus you know, kind of that what we call the open cloud model at the time, but it was cast in terms of private versus public. And the understanding at that time was that private clouds were sort of enterprise clouds and public clouds were sort of canonicalized by Amazon Web Services. And it was really everybody viewing things through the lens of sort of the outsourcing lens. It was, you know, public clouds are about me taking, you know, my current existing applications and pushing them out and basically recovering some cost. And I think what I was trying to identify at that time was I, I didn't think that that was really the case. 
ways. And I felt that, and you can go back to kind of early 2009, I felt that you could build a private cloud, but it kind of needed to look like Amazon. And at the time, I, you know, I guess I wasn't really clear myself what, why that was. I just had that sense. And over time, you know, we've gotten to the position we have now, which is that we've really noticed that what's different is that the applications on Amazon are fundamentally different. They're new applications, and that this really jibes with, you know, disruptive technologies. Because in most cases, most cases, disruptive technologies are really about empowering new ways of doing things in new use cases more than they are about changing the way old things are done. And, and that's something that's been a message for us for a long time, and I think a lot more people are coming around to understanding that now. Yep. Yeah, and Randy, this, l- let me jump in and just say, too, that I have to say kind of thank you as well because that was really a light bulb moment for me personally. And, and the, what, what I mean by that is because I saw the public cloud, private cloud, more of almost like managed services versus in-house, but kind of same architectures, right? But that that very key point of the application and the architecture is completely different, and it isn't just take your your existing workloads and put them, you know, somewhere outside of your environment. That was actually a very, very key kind of turning point in a lot of my thought processes. So I just wanted to point that out as well. So. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about that is I, I really look at sort of 1999, 2000, kind of when there was this competition between two um, business models. One was software as a service and the other was application service providers. And, you know, at that time, you know, the application service providers basically said, look, we're going to take the same software you have, like Oracle Financials, the same hardware you have, like in Sun E4500, and the same people and labor pool that you have, and we're going to take that and we're going to manage it in our data center for you, and you're going to pay us for that, and we're going to add margin on top of it, and that's all going to work out. And it didn't. And the ASP model blew up, whereas software as a service took off, and the difference was that... You know, sort of the early leaders like Salesforce.com, you know, they didn't try to do the same old, same old. They actually kind of tried to rejigger their their architecture, make it a multi-tenant system, and rethink how they would deliver, you know, software over the Internet. And that, that was the difference. And I, I think that there's – the roots of that are also similar to the, the challenges between sort of that enterprise cloud model and sort of that elastic cloud model. Sure. And let me jump in and, and add one other point to that. The elasticity, in my mind, is that the key to that difference in the application layer. Um, the, the fact that you're growing in shrink codes or, or compute resources, if you will, that that is really a, a very key differentiator between um, that model and, say, some of the older style or, or traditional models. So I wanted to kind of throw another question out to you, and this is something I'm seeing with a lot of our customers today, is is IaaS even necessary at times if it's an older, you know, legacy or enterprise cloud where the application really isn't written to take advantage of the elasticity? Does that Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, again... You know, when we talk about this, we like to talk about it being a transition from, you know, a transformation in the IT stack from enterprise or client-server computing to cloud computing, kind of the same way that we went from mainframe computing to enterprise computing. And when you look at a lot of those first transitions, I mean, people weren't in a hurry to move their apps off the mainframe, and I, I don't think they should be in a hurry to move 
existing apps off of you know existing enterprise data center infrastructure today. I mean, if it's working, why would you why would you mess with it? I, I I mean, I think that there's reasons to do it, but it's going to happen in the natural flow of the business, right? You know, we're doing a hardware refresh. We've decided to you know. Um, uh, decommission an application of a certain type and use software as a service outside or, you know, there's some natural evolution in the business will be a driver for, you know, taking those applications at the right time and, and figuring out what to do with them. So, yeah, Aaron, I, th- I think what you're kind of highlighting is, you know, even going back a couple of years, you had people talking about, you know, how do you pick an application to move to the cloud, which really kind of implied I'm going to take an existing application and, and put it somewhere else or put it in a different operating model. Or, you know, you hear all this, this talk about, like, bursting an application because we're kind of playing off the Nicholas Carr cloud is, a, is like electricity and people are just going to kind of own the, own the base and rent the spike. And I, I, think, I think what we're finally kind of coming around to is, you know, there is a class of application, and it's it's really being driven by things like mobile or social, or in some cases gaming. That that really is the the driving force, I think, to to driving new applications. It's not about rewriting them. And Randy, is that is that fair? Is that kind of some of the driving forces you're seeing towards people looking at building these new web applications? Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. But I I mean, I guess I want to clarify it a little bit more in that I think that. There's been a lot of pent-up demand around how to deal with, um, you know, sort of a classic problem that's existed almost since the internet's been here, and that people are now starting to realize that they can they can solve it where they couldn't solve it before. So, for example, in the late '90s and early 2000s, a lot of people overbuilt their infrastructure to do a product launch, like Sales.com was a classic blender where Siebel basically went to do a Salesforce.com. Uh, competitor and they overbuilt, you know, five to ten million dollar infrastructure, and then you know they launched it and nobody came. And you know that that really has been something that we haven't been able to deal with for a while. And the, the challenge is is that when you have a platform like the internet, where you can have millions of users overnight, literally, then you need some way to sort of deal with that unexpected growth. Yeah. And the, the, it's not just the internet now, right? It's Facebook, it's iOS. Android, there's even more platforms that you can get connected to. And, you know, simultaneously, there's this whole explosion in data. And people are trying to figure out how to mine data more effectively, how to manage, you know, potentially uh, exponential growth in these applications. And the reality is, is that before, it was just really hard to do. And now, using these elastic infrastructures, there's actually a tool that we can use. And I think that's starting to unlock these new use cases um, that really have existed, but it just, you know, there wasn't any way to deal with them previously. Gotcha. gotcha. So, Ra- Randy, let me ask you this. What, what do you consider, like when you say new use cases, what's the, what's kind of the, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, of, of cloud computing? In, in terms of the application use cases? Yes, exactly. All, all, of, the green, all of the new greenfield applications where you um, either don't know what the demand is going to be it's highly periodic, which means, for example, you know, some people have, just have workloads that occur you know, once a week, once a month, once a year, um, or it has a completely unknown periodicity, and you just have to have sort of a, a way to deal with that. And examples of that would be like sports events in a geographical area where people you know, are all using Twitter simultaneously or something like that. And that's going to continue to grow as we have this more... 
you know, more and more were always on and wired into the network and doing a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, sort of the data mining use case, you know, big data. Okay. So, Randy, let's let's talk for a second about, about your company, about cloud scaling. Um, you know, you guys are kind of a, a new type of company in that, I mean, at least from the outside, it feels like um, there's obviously a large piece of what you do that is kind of systems integration, uh, consulting, right? I mean, it's, it's you're putting together software, you're delivering it, you're customizing it for your customers. But at the same time, now that everything is, is open software, so you guys obviously are huge proponents of OpenStack, um, I mean, you're, you're building sort of a, a product uh, as well. So it's, it's kind of a hybrid of a, of a product company to some extent, and it's a kind of a consulting systems integration company. Um, can you give us a sense of kind of how you look at what your business is? Is it, is it in the infrastructure as a service space? Is it, is it kind of blur into platform because you have to help customers build these new applications or apply them to elastic infrastructure? Uh, the way I would nutshell it is that we allow people to build their own Amazon web services. Okay. And so if they're looking for elastic infrastructure to support those next-gen apps, we provide that. Okay. Now, what, we, what we've learned is that um, you need, I mean, this is probably one of the more complex enterprise products out there. So you need a certain amount of services to support that delivery of that product. And what we're trying to do is kind of like Prometheus bringing fire down from the mountain. We're trying to provide the same methodologies and thinking that an Amazon or a Google or Facebook use when they build at scale. And so what we've done is we've come to market or coming to market with you know, what we call a solutions focus, which is product combined with services. And that product is an open source based product using OpenStack as a core, but with a bunch of other intellectual property we've built around it, again, all open source, that has, you know, a modular repeatable process for actually deploying that on hardware in data centers so that you can build that infrastructure at scale. And so, it's really not a kind of system that has infinite customization, but what it is is because it's modular, because both the software is modular and the hardware designs that we bring um, are, are modular as well, it gives us this mechanism and methodology where we can work with the customer to customize it kind of within the boundaries. And that means that if you want to build a cloud that is, looks like Amazon but is powered by all SSDs, we can support that. And if you want to build a cloud that looks like Amazon, um, but you know has very different instance sizes, we can support that. And but the key is for us that we really believe that Amazon Web Services has cracked the code on a lot of the basic scaling pieces. And so we believe that the baseline is to provide compatibility with that cl- that public cloud system initially, and then we'll look at other public cloud systems over time. Okay. And and do you find that the you know the, the early customers that you're working with are looking for kind of a, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a complete system in that they they run the whole thing, the scale of it is, is, is assets that they own, or are they looking kind of from day one to say, I'm going to build out X amount of capacity, but I absolutely want to have, you know, being able to leverage, integrate, federate, whatever the right term is, with, uh, with Amazon as part of their overall uh, service is that something they, they think about from day one, or is it more tended to be? Well, I want to kind of think about it as being private. Do you see certain trends kind of evolving from your customer base or the early customer base? Um, it really depends on the customer. Yeah. Um, 
we some people really are thinking about federation. A lot of those people are people who are either on Amazon already or who um, are thinking about getting on Amazon and they want to own the base and rent the spike. They want that classic sort of promise that people have hoped to have but haven't really quite gotten there with sort of hybrid cloud, uh, so to speak. Um, and then there's a class of customers who, you know, they're not really thinking about a federated model or connecting it. What they're really trying to do is just make sure that they've got an alternative inside their business that they can point their um, users to that, you know, give them, you know, sort of a blessed version of Amazon Web Services so they can stop the hemorrhaging and, and you know, sort of shadow IT-based usage of Amazon Web Services that's outside their control. Okay. And is your and is your you're working with these early customers? Uh, you know, I mean, Amazon obviously has a lot of years built up of, of operational experience. Um, you know, OpenStack is now on the the fifth release, but but there's still obviously an evolution of tools to go around that. People being able to know how to operate that. How how mature do you find you know your early customers are at, at understanding how to operate an environment? You know, forget that it's OpenStack. It just happens to be in this case, but but that is sort of has different scale properties is it is it hard for them to wrap their head around Do you, is the is the maturity kind of ramping up fairly quickly what's the what's the learning curve look like that's a really great question i what it really what it comes down to at the moment is that our early customers are tending to be right now people who are actually operators themselves already for a non cloud type of system okay. and they understand you know, production 24 by 7 services and just not in the infrastructure as a service context. And they're looking for a partner who has that same kind of DNA who can help them be successful. Okay. Um, I think right now we're in early enough days that, you know, the you know enterprises who don't have that DNA are just literally kicking the tires on sort of the Elastic Cloud stuff and they still don't understand it well enough to, to be successful at doing something internally. And, you know, they're just really in discovery mode. And I think, you know, if you sort of broke it down into a three-year cycle where in the first year you're sort of, you know, assessing all the potential vendors, and in the second year you're kind of doing POCs and pilots, and in the third year you're getting serious about it, I'd say the majority of enterprises are kind of transitioning from the first to the second year where they've started to understand some of the vendors out there and are going to move into doing small POCs and pilots over the next year, but they're not really in a position to do more than a few servers to a rack at a time. You're a, you're a huge proponent of, of obviously open source, open clouds. You've, you've written about this, and you've gotten into you know in the middle of some of the discussions between say an open stack and a and a and a cloud stack and so forth. I don't really want to get into that because obviously it could either get it to become a really technical conversation or a very subjective conversation. Let's compare two sort of different things though from a from a deployment perspective or again a maturity perspective. So take OpenStack, which um, you guys obviously bundled together. Um, you wrote a really good blog post the other day that talked about how uh, you know the default sort of messaging bus and message queuing is is built into OpenStack. You offer an alternative that uh, you believe scales better, but people you know can go either way. Um, that's a different model for a lot of a lot of enterprises to sort of adopt, where it's my software may come from one place, but then these you know a lot of different options, the tools and so forth, come from from different places. You know, different in contrast to say something like you know VMware, where everything kind of gets packaged. Do you find you have to do a lot of 
educating for people as to how to think about building their operations to support those kind of models? Or do you find most of your operators are people that have run, you know, Linux, server farms, and so forth, and they're used to those more open source, open tool type of uh, environments? Well, we find both types, but we have traction with the latter. And, you know, we've gone into situations where um, we talk to uh, large kind of Internet-style businesses, Mm -hmm. um, and they had a laundry list of things that they were uncomfortable with in OpenStack, and we had fixed a large number of those because we saw the same gaps. And, again, it goes to that sort of DNA match between the background of our business and, and, you know, some of these early adopters – and um, what what I what I do see what I'm hoping people start to see more or understand more, and I and I think we're starting to get there is that things like OpenStack, CloudStack, Eucalyptus, and such really should start to be seen as more of a data center operating system or a cloud operating system, and it's different than a traditional operating system that runs on a single box and that it's distributed software, but it's similar in that. You know, not you know every data center is going to be fundamentally different. Even if you put the same hardware using the same you know rack model, same networking model into two different data centers, your cloud still wind up being different because data centers are funny. They're they're where you know kind of like the rubber meets the road. It's where it's the bottom piece of the IT stack that actually maps to physicality. Like it has a location which determines its size and how much power it can have. And those things are immutable. Those aren't changeable, unlike other things. And so any, you know, even if you use the exact same hardware, same software, but putting two different data centers, those two deployments will look fundamentally different. And so cloud operating systems like OpenStack actually need to have enough fungibility in them and need to be pluggable enough and modular enough that you can take some pieces and not take other pieces um, and still, you know, you but but be using the same base operating system. You know, I think of Unix, right? I mean, one of the staying power of the Unix operating system or the Unix model, it has been that it's a generic operating system. I mean, that's why it's been so successful. I mean, look at Linux. I mean, Linux isn't even technically Unix, but it's got all the Unix paradigms, all the Unix models, even if it has none of the Unix code. And it gets cut down and using everything from, you know, small form factor embedded devices all the way up to, you know, mainframes. And that's because it's generic. And so we're looking at the advent of that next generation of kind of operating system, but it's really at the, you know, multi-rack data center kind of level, not really, you know, on a single box. So, so Randy, kind of, kind of extending that, that Linux paradigm, um, you know, most people today, actually maybe, maybe you can correct me, but, but, from what I see, most people kind of companies tend to pick a distribution of Linux. For example, they pick Ubuntu, they pick Red Hat, they pick you know whatever whatever one they they find because they uh, they certify the patches, they sort of lock down that security model. Do you see that? I mean, if 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 we're kind of trying to compare something like you know an OpenStack, for example, with that model. Does that happen? Does there become sort of the, the Linux of OpenStack, or or is there still? I mean, are we still in way too early a days where somebody's going to still use a very fungible model like you talked about, and maybe uh, get the base code from Git, and then maybe get some enhancements from you and services from you? I think we're in very early days, and if you looked at um, OpenStack, maybe is more like the Linux kernel. Okay. Then that that might be, be more accurate, and things like the ZeroMQ plugin that we 
um, have provided is more like a Linux kernel module that plugs into the standard Linux kernel. Gotcha. And and then Open Cloud OS, our distribution, you know, looks more like a classic Linux distribution where it's not just the kernel and the kernel modules, but there's all user land around it, and we're starting to build all of those pieces. And I think that other people are taking a similar model, and you know, it's more likely that we're going to see one of those be successful. I mean, because base OpenStack is really sort of a technology or a framework. I mean, it's there's a lot of pieces you need in order to make it production ready. And that's not to say that, that it's not capable of being in production. Now it is. It's just that there's a lot of other things that have to happen to operationalize something like monitoring and logging and security and operational procedures. And, you know, I mean, there's just a huge long list of things above and beyond putting a VM image on hypervisor. Randy, let me ask you this. It seems like if you, you know, read all the blogs and, and follow Twitter and everything here lately, it very much seems like OpenStack is almost coming up as a competitor to Amazon these days. And what are your feelings about OpenStack either with or against um, AWS long term? Um, <clears throat> I mean, it still has to play out, right? I don't think we really know how things are going to go. But it's very rarely that I've seen a marketplace that is completely dominated by a a single player, like, turn around later on. And, you know, I would like to see OpenStack be sort of a countervailing force against Amazon Web Services in many ways. But in many other ways, you know, some, some, some of us have to ask and wonder why... In, we wouldn't just follow Amazon Web Services. I mean, I've heard from some folks that, you know, hey, they're going to control the innovation path, you know, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is is that they already control the innovation path by having, you know, 80 or 90% of the public cloud market or 80 or 90% of the elastic infrastructure market. I mean, you know, innovation path isn't controlled necessarily by the people who control the API always. Sometimes it's by those who control the thought leadership and the ideas. And right now, Amazon, you know, is definitely there. And a lot of the others who would compete against them in terms of providing alternative solutions like the OpenStack ecosystem, you know, they still have a very long way to go. And, you know, I think it's still an open discussion, uh, open question mark of whether OpenStack is its own thing or whether it makes sense for it to follow Amazon. Cool, cool. So let me ask you this. So this is kind of breaking news. Um, So today, Cloud Scaling um, joined the Open Data Center Alliance. Um, What can you tell us about that and and what are your thoughts on the subject? Well, I mean, you know, we keep telling folks that we think cloud computing is sort of the new way of doing IT, you know, the way that the Internet pioneers like Google and Amazon and Facebook, the way they're building at scale, and that that's really what cloud computing is about. It's not something trivial like VMs on demand, because if it was VMs on demand, there would be all kinds of Amazon Web Services competitors. So I think... The key, though, is that Amazon's doing a lot more than that. They're rethinking how they build their data centers. They're rethinking how they deal with hardware, how they do their software architecture and all those pieces. And we really see things like the Open Data Center Alliance, Open Compute Project, and other things outside of open source software as contributing to the overall um, capabilities that people are going to want to internalize and use. And so if you look at, you know, how... Google, for example, is, is working on their next generation networking 
inside their data centers. I mean, they're using things like OpenFlow. They're looking at open networking and software-defined networking technologies, and they're really pushing the envelope. And so there's sort of a leapfrog opportunity here, which is to engage with people who are doing stuff around making data centers scalable, power-efficient, and, and you know, rethinking how they're built, um, how they're doing that with hardware, um, and how they're doing that with networking along with the software. And that's the important thing, right? It's not just software. You've got to think about the environment that the software is deployed in. And so if people want to get the full benefits, they really need to be part of some of these other ecosystems like the Open Data Center Alliance. <laughs> All right. So I tell you what, we are extremely Skype challenged this week. Um, hopefully we'll be able to add this together. But uh, I tell you what, we'll, in the interest of everyone's time and our poor listeners um, who will have to sit through the multiple edits, um, let's go ahead and wrap this up real quick. So we're out of time for this week. Um, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, remember, five-star only. That's Aaron's rule. Um, and please, you can follow us on Twitter at thecloudcastnet or, or reach us on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can check out our newly redesigned and updated website. You can find links to the show, our YouTube channel, and links to listen to the show on iTunes or Stitcher. So, Randy, thank you very much for your time tonight, and thank you to everyone for listening. 